Welcome to the Financial Residency Podcast, where we are devoted exclusively to the financial well-being of physicians and helping you achieve the financial freedom you deserve. This is your financial residency without the long hours and sleepless nights. Let's welcome your host and primary care physician for your finances, Ryan Inman. What's up, everyone? Welcome back. Super excited you guys are here. Thank you so much again. I really appreciate you guys being here listening. And I hope that you guys are getting a lot out of the show and the series. I try to answer all the emails that are coming in with all the questions. Keep them coming. Join the group Financial Residency on Facebook in the Facebook group. Today, we are going to be talking with Larry Keller from Physician Financial Services, which does sound a lot like my fee-only financial planning business, Physician Wealth Services, but of course it is different. Larry's phenomenal, super brilliant guy, and is actually my go-to guy for all that tough insurance stuff that does come in, that comes my way when we're looking at analyzing when clients have annuities or whole life policies. Larry is a phenomenal asset, and I highly recommend that if you have some crazy insurance needs or just some basic needs even, uh, to reach out to Larry I will make sure that I have his information in the show notes at financialresidency.com. So today, Larry and I are going to talk all about term insurance and disability insurance and give you guys not only some good rules of thumb uh, when it comes to life insurance, but also uh, to explain some of the more in-depth stuff and the writers that come around with disability and some of the common misconceptions with that. So knowing that, I'm excited to jump right in. Let's talk to Larry from Physician Financial Services. Larry, thank you so much for being on the show. Greatly appreciated. Really excited to get into some of the specifics today. The pleasure is all mine. You know, it all comes down to educating the audience. And I find a lot of people just lack the time. And as a result of that, they want to check something off their list get it done and move on. Unfortunately, all too often it leads to subpar results. So hopefully this will give people an idea of what they should be looking for and more importantly, what they should be looking out for to help them make a well-informed, educated decision before they decide to proceed or move forward. That sounds great. Yeah, I'm excited. And I think a lot of people are going to get a lot of benefit out of this. You know, as we go through and talk about what is term insurance and some of the pros and cons, and then looking at disability and kind of doing a deep dive on what some of those things in their policies might mean. And then, it, you know, if we have time at the end, talking a little bit about permanent insurance, if it's appropriate for anyone and all that. So if you don't mind, let's just jump right in and let's talk about term insurance. Physicians, they know kind of a little bit about term insurance, but let's start from the basics and just let them know a little bit about what term insurance is and kind of what they're looking for in that type of policy. Term insurance is really fairly straightforward. You're paying a premium to the insurance company to cover the risk that they're taking, where they're going to pay money out to your beneficiary or beneficiaries in the event of your death. So term insurance is the purest form of insurance. It provides a death benefit only. It allows the individual to buy the largest amount of coverage for the lowest cost. Generally, you really want to purchase a policy with a level or a fixed premium rate for a duration of time. And that can be anywhere from five years to literally as long as 35 years. An old school product that I still being seen is primarily sold by one company. 
and it's called annual renewable term or ART or yearly renewable term or YRT. And essentially they give you two schedules. They say this is the current premium rate. It will never be lower, but this is what we expect that we're going to be able to charge you based on today's mortality, based on the expenses that we're assuming, and based on the rate of return that we are getting as an insurance company on our investments. Then they have a guaranteed maximum, which is a multiple of the current rate. And each year when the policy renews, the insured will find out what the rate's going to be. Is it going to be the current rate, which was projected? Or if one or more of those factors were out of whack, it can literally be as high as the guaranteed maximum. So knowing that this is the case, ideally, you really want to avoid that type of coverage unless you're buying it with full intention of converting or switching over, regardless of your health, to some type of permanent insurance product. And for the majority of people, that is likely not going to be a consideration. So we'll lock into a policy with a guaranteed level premium where the current as well as the guaranteed are identical. When the policy renews, it's exactly what you expect it to be. And in the old world, you would find a lot of physicians would say, you know, my magic number is X, $3 million. I'm going to go out and I'm going to buy a $3 million 30-year level term policy. Now I know I've purchased a large amount of coverage for an extended duration. Well, unfortunately, a lot of times that will lead to someone overpaying for coverage for long-term guarantees that they're just not going to need, especially a dual physician couple where you're going to create a substantial amount of wealth. So a strategy that I use that's somewhat common is called laddering your coverage. And you might say, my magic number is $3 million. But instead of going out and buying a $3 million 30-year term, I'm going to buy two different policies. I'm going to buy one policy for $2 million of 20-year term, another policy for $1 million of 30-year term. If something happens in the first 20 years, we have the same $3 million death benefit. After the 20 years are up, that first $2 million piece drops off and $1 million remains for the final 10 years. And with the exception of estate planning, what we find is the need for income replacement is likely to go down. We're going to pay down our mortgage. We're going to save for our own retirement. We're going to save for our children's college educations. We're going to pay down our medical school debt. And remember, if it's a federal debt, that would be discharged in the event of death anyway. So this strategy allows you to really minimize your premium, maximize your coverage, and really fit the death benefit and the duration of the term much more in line with your individual needs, goals, and budget. In fact, one company allows this strategy within a single policy. You buy one policy for the longest duration, in my example, 30 years, and then you would literally add a level premium term rider to that policy. Again, in my example, $2 million of 20-year. And what this does is it saves you the annual policy fee normally associated with separate policies. So at that point, what I would do is I would look at what is my total cost if I was to use this one carrier with the term rider, 
Or what would it be if I was to purchase two different policies, either from the same company or separate companies, and see what the difference is? And if it's less expensive using one policy with the term riders, I would probably go that route. And if it was more expensive and the amount was substantially different, I would probably go to two different companies and purchase two different policies. You'll also find that premium rates are based upon a few different factors. The insured's gender, their height and weight, their personal history, are they taking any prescription medications, family history, whether it's cardiac disorders or cancer, and I'll say that's going to be an immediate family history. Some companies are more generous in terms of the height and weight guidelines. Some companies, when it comes to cardiac disorders or cancer, they are literally going to look at, was there a diagnosis in a parent or sibling prior to the age of 60? And that in and of itself might knock someone out of the criteria for the best or preferred plus category. Other carriers use a death criteria. And even though there might be a diagnosis in the immediate family, because the immediate family member is still alive, that diagnosis is not used against them. And as long as the proposed insured, the person potentially buying the coverage, meets all the other criteria, they can potentially qualify for that. And that can mean a significant savings knowing which company to go to based on your individual factors. A good rule of thumb when it comes to term life insurance is ideally you want to purchase seven to 10 times your gross income. Now, by the same token, you can't just arbitrarily pick a number, taking your future income potential into consideration and expect to get that. Most insurance companies are going to say, we're not willing to give you more than 20 to 30 times your current gross income. And in order to get more than that, I as the agent and the individual as the proposed insured would have to justify to the insurance company why we need additional coverage. Now, do I have multiple children? Do I have a very large mortgage? Do I have a special needs child or some reason why more than that multiplier is actually required? That's for the most part term life insurance. Now, you will find that there are some riders or additional pieces that can be added to a policy. So one of them is called a waiver of premium rider. And what this does is it waives the policy's premium, so the insured does not have to pay this, in the event of a disability. Now, this can equate to 15% or more of the policy's total premium. So you have to say, does this make sense? And do I plan on converting this term life insurance policy to a cash value policy at some point in the future? If I do, and I'd like to have the premiums waived on this larger cash value policy, I would need to have this rider on my term policy so when I convert, it's applicable to my cash value policy. If not, I would likely forego the waiver of premium rider. The definition is much more limited compared to an individual disability insurance policy. And I would use that savings to increase my individual disability policy where I will have better provisions, I will have a stronger definition of total disability, and it will quite honestly provide me with more flexibility than just having my premium waived. There is something called an extended conversion rider. And Ryan, it's funny, the insurance companies are always looking away to try to undercut each other when it comes to term life insurance premiums because it really is, for the most part, a commodity. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the companies that are career agent companies, 
really understand that most people, if they're going to convert, they're going to do it in a short period of time. So they looked at their book of business and they say, okay, even though the policy is a 20-year term or a 30-year term, if they offer that, built into the policy is going to be a five-year conversion option. And if you want beyond the five-year conversion option, you can purchase an extended conversion rider to allow you to convert, switch from one type of policy to another without doing an exam, blood test, urine test, or answering medical questions. But again, if your goal is to not ever purchase a permanent life insurance policy and you're literally using this for death benefit only, odds are very good you would not be looking to purchase that rider. A good general rule is residents and fellows should not entertain purchasing anything other than a term life insurance policy. And if their inclination is that they might convert in the future or they don't know and they're willing to pay a little bit of additional premium to have that flexibility should they desire to have that in the future, then they might look to purchase their coverage from a company that's known for permanent insurance. And non-working spouses really should always be insured. Even though they're not working and they're not bringing income into the household, you know what they do is tremendous in terms of allowing their spouse that is a medical professional to continue to do what they do. And God forbid something happens. We know that the physician would want to continue their training or continue to practice medicine. And the only thing that would allow them to do that is money. And it could mean my non-working spouse is insured to allow me to continue to practice. Or it could mean if I'm attending, my non-working spouse is really somewhat heavily insured to allow me to work less, not work at all, or spend time grieving so I can spend time with my family because they just lost their mother or their father. Mm -hmm. So Larry, I'm going to stop real quick here because you have said so many great points that I want to cover or highlight a few of them. One was the concept of laddering, and most people don't know what this is or why you would do it. But essentially, for those listening, for the most part, our young attendings or residents, we even have some medical students listening, you're at your most vulnerable point right now. You have high amount of debt, potentially. You have a really high earnings potential, but you have very little assets. And so term insurance is needed to basically protect your earnings power and what you have going. It's not to protect necessarily your assets other than your earnings power. It's not an investment. So what we're talking about with term insurance, like it is an insurance product. This isn't something you're investing in, which as you had mentioned, some of the permanent insurance stuff is sold as, and I'm doing it in quotes, no one can see me, but as an investment. Insurance is insurance and it's that for a reason for protection. So laddering allows you to look at it and say, hey, I'm going to buy a 20 and a 30 year policy, let's just say at a million dollars each. So for the first 20 years, you're going to have 2 million of coverage and cost you X amount of dollars in premium. Well, you've had 20 years now of growth in your investments, savings, paying down debts, things like that, that you don't need 2 million of coverage in 20 years. If you've done a really good job, you might not even need any of the insurance. You might be able to even cancel the last million dollars and save the premium. But let's just say that you're on track. You still need the last million. Well, you'll still have that for 10 more years, but you'll be saving the premium on the first million dollars that you had in that strategy. So not only are you going to be saving money over time, but you've also saved money right at the beginning without having to have two policies extended out at 30 years. 
One of the that, other that, things you mentioned was categories. And I know like all the companies have different ones like preferred plus and preferred and standard and things like that. Could you just quickly chat on what those categories are and like how they determine those categories? So you could look at it as unlike disability insurance where you really don't have tiers other than let's say a non-smoker or a tobacco user. When it comes to life insurance, we have several categories. We might have preferred plus. That means you are in fantastic shape and the likelihood of you passing away is pretty low compared to the rest of the population. Then you might have preferred or the second underwriting category. Some companies have a third category that they call standard plus non-tobacco or super standard. And then you might have standard non-tobacco. We as insurance agents, as well as consumers, we tend to do it the wrong way. We look at it and we say, we're going to start from the best and then we're going to move our way down. And if we don't get the best, we're very upset. Now, the reality is standard non-tobacco is the average person. You're no better. You're no worse than anybody else in society. You are the average male or female. What we should do is say, here's what I am as an average person. How much better can I be? But if we did that as agents and consumers did this, they would think that the cost of insurance is unreasonable. So what we all tend to do is we start with the best. And one of the best tools of doing this, if you're not using an agent or even if you want to double check your agent, is literally a website. It's www.term, T-E-R-M, the number four, sale, S-A-L-E, dot com. And this literally ranks the cost of insurance from least expensive to the most expensive for the duration of term that you're looking for and for the death benefit amount that you're looking for. And we use that as a starting place. Now, I know as an agent which companies are going to be better than others in terms of family history or in terms of personal history for different medical conditions. But that's certainly a good way to get a gauge as to what insurance might cost. But you know, you're right, 100%. The laddering allows you to save money up front, and then long term, it also allows you to save money. And I've seen people have insurance policies and they are overpaying, not because of something they've done, but they didn't go to the company that was best for them based on their height and weight. You know, the agent that they dealt with did not do a significant amount of homework or maybe didn't ask the right questions up front. So the best thing that you can do is just know that the insurance companies are looking at these different factors. You know, it's always going to be the same thing. It's going to be height and weight. It's going to be gender. Males pay more for life insurance than females. Personal history. And again, immediate family history of cardiac or cancer. And remember, certain companies are going to look at immediate family. Was there a diagnosis prior to age 60? Other companies are going to use that death criteria. And the death criteria can certainly be more favorable if we have a family history of this, but the immediate family is alive. Yeah, that makes sense. And you brought up a couple of good points and I'll definitely put the link that you just mentioned in the show notes for everyone. But let's be real. The reason why people get pitched this preferred plus, like, you know, you're in the best category and everything is because it's the cheapest. And they know that 
most agents, and I know that you don't do this just because we've worked together, but most agents will basically come out and say, yo, preferred plus, this is what it's going to cost, you know, $900 for $2 million of coverage. And maybe that's not the best scenario, but then all of a sudden you go through underwriting, underwriter comes back and says, oh no, you're not in tier one, you're in tier three. And, and that coverage just went from 900 to 2100. And they know that you've already gone through a phone application and this giant written application. You've already gone through some of this process that you're going to get this underwriting fatigue and you're just going to say, well, I need the coverage. Screw it. We're going to go with it. It's like a sales technique for some of these guys. You'd mentioned some of the discounts. It's not just that they might not know about it. It's that they might not be compensated as well by a certain company that could potentially give you a better discount. Or, and I know you shared this startling statistic with me, is that 89% of the guys out there that are selling insurance in their first four years have either moved to a different firm or are completely out of the industry. So as you're going through this, you might just find someone, if they're younger, that just doesn't know what it is. It might not be that they get paid differently by someone else, but they literally just might not know because they're so green in the industry uh-huh. that they just don't know that these savings exist for some of these companies. So a lot of good points there. I want to switch over to disability here because disability is super important for physicians. Let's start from a high end and just say, what is disability coverage? And then let's start funneling down the little cascade here of what are some of these things that are inside their policies. So if they're reading their policy, they can understand it a lot better. In its simplest form, disability insurance is really nothing more than paycheck insurance or income replacement insurance. Essentially, it says that the lower incomes, 60% of your salary can be replaced. Benefits are generally income tax-free because with individual coverage, you're going to be paying with your own after-tax dollars. Now, there are special limits for residents, fellows, and, you know, quote-unquote, new-in-practice physicians, which is anywhere from the last six months of training up to the first two years of practicing. And in this situation, we literally ignore your actual income. We ignore any employer-provided group long-term disability insurance, and we're willing to over-insure you based on your future earning potential. So residence fellows that say, I'm not earning that much, I really don't have that much to protect, for them it's really all about the future earning potential that they have and that they're in good shape today. And we know their income is likely not going to go down, their income is likely to go up tremendously, but health we just don't know. It's either going to stay the same if they're lucky or it's going to get worse, and we'll talk about that. Any one company on their own says we will issue between a base policy and an increase option somewhere between $15,000 and $20,000 per month. But for the high income earning specialists, I typically recommend that you combine at least two different policies from two different companies to allow you to potentially reach up to $25,000 or even $30,000 a month of individual coverage. You know, and this could be something like your plastic surgeon, your neurosurgeon, your orthopedic surgeon, and the like. Certain states are also terrible for disability insurance, California specifically being the worst one. In that state, policy offerings are more limited compared to the rest of the country, and premium rates are significantly higher. So a good general rule of thumb is to try to avoid purchasing in California if you can. Of course, if you're a PGY-1 and you're in California and you're doing a six-year residency program, you probably are going to purchase your policy in California 
to have some protection, not remain unprotected for the next six years. But should you leave California and relocate, you seriously have to consider, should that policy be replaced? And can you do better in terms of policy provisions and in terms of pricing? So what do we look for in an individual policy? The first thing we want is a non-cancellable and a guaranteed renewable policy. And this sounds really scary. It just means once you're in, you're in. The insurance company could never take it away. They could never change your premium rates. As long as you pay your premiums in a timely fashion, including the grace period, they have to continue to insure you. The big thing that separates the men from the boys in terms of companies you want to look at is what's known as an own occupation. Some people will call this an own specialty policy. And what this says is we're going to pay you benefits if you're unable to perform, generally, the material and substantial duties of your occupation. And these are the main duties that you perform that cannot be reasonably omitted and still allow you to practice within that medical specialty or occupation. It's essentially telling you if you're disabled from your own occupation and you choose to work in another occupation or medical specialty, you'll still receive your full benefits regardless of the income you earn in the new occupation. The translation for this, to me, is there's no penalty if you're intelligent enough, resourceful enough, or motivated enough to transition into a new occupation or medical specialty, do well as a result of your efforts, and be compensated financially as a result of your efforts. However, own occupation, as good as it is, it only protects you in your specialty. It does not adequately protect your income in the event you can still work within your specialty on a limited basis. So if you are, let's say, an emergency medicine physician and your doctor says, Ryan, look, you could still work. You could still do emergency medicine. But I got to tell you, you have to reduce the number of days that you work, the number of hours you work per day, the number of shifts you work per month. This is likely going to cause a loss of income, potentially a substantial loss of income. How much would an own occupation policy pay you in that situation? Zero. Your doctor has told you you can still perform the duties of your medical specialty. You're still an emergency medicine physician, but because you're working fewer hours, because you're working fewer shifts or some combination of all of these things, you are going to have a loss of income. So we need to add what's called a residual or a partial benefit, which takes away the all or nothing typically associated with own occupation. And this becomes your income component within your policy. So you really have two separate and distinct definitions. One is own occupation. In my example, I can't work as an emergency medicine physician because of an accident or sickness. Pay me. And if I can, I'm going to receive benefits generally proportionate to my loss of income because I'm still performing my duties, but a lesser extent. An extension of that is called a recovery benefit. So if I've been out of work full time, I now go back to work. I've completely recovered. I'm able to do everything I used to do for the same number of hours or more, but maybe I'm not as fast as I was. Maybe my patient base has left me. Maybe the referrals that I was getting from other healthcare professionals have all but dropped off. And I need to rebuild my practice because I went down when I was at the top of my game. I'm not sick anymore but my income is still sick. So we want a provision that will continue to help us with our financial recovery. And that's called a recovery benefit and is typically built into the residual or partial benefit. 
we want a cost of living adjustment rider, which allows our benefit to increase after disability has lasted for 12 months. And as long as we continue to increase our coverage as our income is rising, if we're disabled, the cost of living adjustment will make sure we maintain our purchasing power. Of course, there's no guarantee, and some COLA riders are tied to the consumer price index up to a maximum. Others are fixed, but it really is designed to help you maintain your purchasing power. And last but not least of what I call the required riders is a future increase option that allows you to buy more coverage in the future, no more exam, no more blood tests, no more urine tests, no more medical questions. In the event my income is rising, but my health has deteriorated, and I'm not dead, and I'm not disabled, but I've been diagnosed with a condition that the insurance company would no longer look at me as favorably as they once did, I'm protected. And a great example of this might be a surgeon that develops bilateral carpal tunnel syndrome, and they have an EMG done. It's clear that this is present. Things get worse. Ultimately, the surgeon needs to have a bilateral carpal tunnel repair surgery. Everything goes well. They're now afraid. They decide, oh my God, this could have been the end of my career. I need to buy more disability insurance. They reach out to their agent. And the agent says, look, I'm happy to get you more disability insurance, but because of your newfound condition, any policy that you're going to buy is not going to cover either or both of your hands, wrists, or forearms. And our surgeon is horrified to hear this because they're thinking, the only reason I'm buying this, Ryan, is because I'm a surgeon and I use my hands, wrists, and forearms all day. Well, the future increase option allows us to buy more coverage. We would never have to even disclose that we had bilateral carpal tunnel repair surgery. So the key is not even so much to get as much coverage as you can today, but to lock in the ability to purchase as much coverage as you can in the future without going through you know, medical underwriting, answering medical questions, doing an exam, doing a blood test, doing a urine test. That is one of the main reasons that you will buy coverage when you're an intern, resident, or fellow. With the future benefit increase, that increases your premium, right? Is there a way to know like what this future benefit increase is actually going to do to your premiums? Well, some companies, they're not going to give you a new policy, and they're going to include the same language as your original policy. They're going to use the rate book that the original policy was purchased under, just using your new, then current age for the additional coverage only. And any discounts that were part of the original policy will also be part of this increased coverage. Other companies, when you exercise the increase option, are going to give you a new policy. And as such, that might mean that the new policy has different provisions and language than your original policy. It could potentially also mean that discounts that were part of the original policy will not be part of the new coverage that you're purchasing. So it's important to ask and understand what you're purchasing not only going in, but what it's going to look like in the future. One of the things that I wanted you to touch on before we switch topics here is, for the most part, this mental nervous disorder limitation that is on pretty much every policy. Can you kind of just tell us a little bit about that and why it's there? Well, you'll find, depending upon medical specialty, depending upon state of residence, certain policies have this limitation built into their policy across the board for all medical specialties. 
Other policies might give you a choice where there is no limitation. So typically, if a policy has a limitation, it's going to say something like, we're going to limit benefits for 24 months, either over your lifetime or per period of disability. So you can have more than one period of disability and collect more than the 24 months. If disability is mainly caused by anxiety, depression, stress, chemical dependency, drug addiction. You know, of course, even if a policy has a limitation, there's going to be some exceptions to that rule where full benefits would be payable regardless, potentially to the age of 65 or longer. And that might be dementia as a result of a stroke, a trauma, head injury, viral infection, MS, Parkinson's. I had a physical disability that's preventing me from performing my job duties. And secondary to that, I'm now depressed. The insurance company is not going to impose that limitation because the depression is secondary or incidental to the physical diagnosis. And last, but certainly not least, it could be that the person is hospitalized under the care of a physician and remains that way. Now, there are certain specialties in general where they do not have a choice. And short of one company where they're using an old policy series that's still available, they might not be able to purchase unlimited coverage for mental and nervous conditions anyway. Mm -hmm. And that's typically going to be emergency medicine. It's typically going to be anesthesiology. And it's typically going to be pain management physicians. And of the companies that offer own occupation coverage in its truest sense, as I described, There are literally only six of them, and these might vary by state. So we've got Berkshire Life. You can use that interchangeably with Guardian. We've got Standard Insurance Company. We've got Emeritus. We've got Ohio National. And we've got Principal. That's it as far as companies offering true own occupation policies in today's marketplace. A big piece is for our female listeners Females, we said, pay less for life insurance. Well, the reverse is the case for disability insurance. Females pay literally 50, 50 to 60, 60 percent more for their coverage than their male counterparts. So ideally, as a female physician, you want to look for a gender neutral or a policy with a unisex rate and a discount. This can literally reduce the cost of a female's coverage by 40 to 60% off of the normal female rates. And typically, once you have this locked in, that discount is going to apply permanently. So not only is the original policy discounted, but any additional coverage purchased subsequently is also going to be discounted. And there are discount programs that exist in many teaching hospitals, many of the larger practices. Otherwise, establishing one typically requires that three to five employees working for the same employer purchase coverage from the same insurance company, and then a discount plan can be established. Mm. Now, ideally, insurance agents that spend their time in the quote-unquote medical marketplace should know of these discount plans. Even if they don't have access to them, They should know of them, and they should be able to refer the potential clients to the agent that can make them available. This is one of the things that I routinely do because I honestly believe physicians are smart people, and if they do their homework, they're going to find out that these plans exist. 
And if I know of them and I hold myself out to be an expert and I don't let them know that they're available, if I know, what are they going to think? They're going to immediately think I withheld the information from them so I could sell them a product that I had available to me. And it's just not a great way to build a long-term relationship or continue to build your reputation in a relatively small marketplace. Mm -hmm. And for those listening, this is exactly how I found Larry and why we've been working together is because I actually had a unique situation that I sent over to Larry and said, hey, I'd like you to review this. I'd like you to see what's going on and let's have a discussion. And Larry came back and said, look, I can sell this policy and it's going to have, I forget, Larry, if it was like 20% discount for what you could have done with this specific company for this coverage. But if you go through their employer, this is the agent that can sell this specific policy. And instead of 20%, they could get a 30% discount. Now, Larry wasn't going to make any money by telling me this. He was acting on the best behalf of my client and myself. And that was a huge thing for me and it went a long way. And that's why I started working more with Larry was this specific thing that he knew something that a small employer had a better discount and referred out the business. And I want to say 99% of the agents out there will not do this. It's sad, but it's true. You know, so I, I think you've touched on so many great things inside of this. One last thing that I want to switch over to, it literally pains me to even talk about it, but is permanent insurance. Can you just kind of chat a little bit on permanent insurance and I'll let you take it from there. I won't be biased anymore. Permanent insurance, you know, it's another form of insurance. If we said term insurance is simply death benefit only and you pay a premium and if you were to pass away within that term, your beneficiaries would receive the death benefit. Well, permanent insurance is really a mix of death benefit with some type of cash value associated with it. And the way the cash value is invested or the way it might perform and what's guaranteed and what's not guaranteed is going to be tied towards that type of permanent insurance product. As a good rule of thumb, I mean, if you're in the market for an insurance agent, I would suggest that you ask the individual or individuals that you're considering about any professional designations or certifications they might have. Now, not only does this show a commitment to the industry as certain experience requirements have to be met, but these individuals should have a good understanding of the financial planning process. I mean, especially if they're a certified financial planner. So you might even ask them the same way you might ask a financial planner. What's your educational background? What's your area of expertise? How long have you been in the industry? Which financial products do you recommend most often and why? Which companies? Which life insurance carriers do you recommend most often and why? How much experience do you have working with clients in your specific medical specialty? And then do you have any affiliation with any specific insurance company? Because at least you'll know where they're coming from. You know, if they're showing you policy ABC and their business card is from company ABC, and that's all they're showing you, that might be a key that you should do a little bit more homework and see what else that's out there. And that's not even talking just whole life or any of these other permanent, that's for all of this stuff. If you're going to a company, and I know we're not mentioning firms, but if you're going to a company and this is their product that they push, you're not getting quotes from everything else to see, you will probably be paying more money in the form of premiums for crappier coverage. And that's just almost a fact. I know I can't say facts and guarantees and things, but that is almost a fact. Like if you're only going to one place that they can only put their products in front of you, you're not comparing enough apples. 
Yeah, I would say you're not getting necessarily objective advice. You also have to beware agents that are captive and they can only offer policies from one company or have a strong financial incentive to do so. I mean, ideally, you want to purchase your policy from an insurance agent that represents several insurance companies, provides you with illustrations of coverage from each, spends the time to review the differences between them with you in detail. This way you can make a decision that really best meets your individual needs, goals, and budget. You know, and let's not forget, the time to ask your questions is before you buy any insurance products. All too often I see physicians in situations that could have easily been avoided if they took the time to really understand who they were working with and what they were purchasing before they signed on the dotted line. Remember, since contractual language and premium rates have to be approved by the insurance department of each state before a policy can be approved for sale by a particular insurance company, the industry is heavily regulated. You're not going to be paying anything more by purchasing your policy from someone that's like, quote unquote, experienced than you would be by purchasing a policy from a newly licensed or an inexperienced agent or broker. I always look at it as if I'm a celebrity and I have significant amounts of money available to me, why would I choose a physician that's not going to give me the best result? You know, especially, let's say, a plastic surgeon. It's either I didn't take the time to do the homework, or I just went with the first one that was on the list, neither of which is really great. There are plenty of people out there that are very good at what they do. They're well-educated. They have the experience. They have the training to give you as close to the expected result as possible. It's just a matter of doing a little bit of homework in order to find these people. Mm -hmm. It really is that simple. Yep, I love it. Larry, thanks so much for being on the show. And guys, I'm excited to tell you that we actually recorded a lot more than this. And we have a ton of questions. You know, normally we do the curbside consult at the end of the show and ask the guest one or two questions and then we answer them. Well, we had a lot of questions that came in from all of you around insurance. And so Larry and I decided that instead of just cramming it into all into one show, we're actually going to break it apart. So this show obviously was all around the concepts and the next show, which will come out next week is all about answering your guys and gals questions around insurance. So can't wait to, for you guys to hear that. It's amazing. Larry's brilliant. Larry, thank you again for being on the show and I hope you guys have a great rest of your week. Talk to you next time. Thank you for listening to the Financial Residency Podcast. This episode has ended, but your financial residency continues online. Head over to financialresidency.com where you'll find links to any resources mentioned in today's episode, along with other valuable tips and information that will help you regain your financial freedom. That's financialresidency.com.